Yeah, this seems this seems about right. Okay, this is good because before you were hearing what we were saying and we were hearing what you were saying, but it was like on a 30 second delay. Oh, some sort weird. of weird situation, yeah. Very very weird. Man, I think it was inception, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <gasps> you responded so quickly. Well, this is perfect. I oh know. my god, it's perfect. It's, it's the, perfect. Oh my gosh, it's perfect. It's that was like, a setup uh, joke. It's like the god, it's like the god shot of uh Skype calls. <laughs> Excellent. This is what's happening right now. Current, the, the extraction of my voice is right about 20% right now. Oh, yeah. You are dialed in. It's like a 1.3 maybe. I don't know. You know nice. No, I, feel, I, feel, I feel great about it. It's sweet and clean. <laughs> it's, like, it's really balanced. It's not too bottom heavy, but it's not all yeah. dry either. It's, it's yeah, got no, a it's good, got it's got nice, good finish. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, I feel like there's, nice, there's a nice florality to it. Oh, it's florals? You're calling out florals. Okay. Mm. You know, I'm thinking like a, a lavender honey candy, you know? Yeah, Just, oh, legit, legit. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's everything I want a Luwantan to be. Everything. <laughs> <laughs> turns out turns out all you have to do is uh, fix the internet and then also eco pulp it. That's oh, the... <laughs> okay. Damn, it's so green. <laughs> no this emissions. This podcast brought to you by Panagos. Yeah. We really dialed it in. <laughs> Uh, very little, very little fresh water was required. Mm. <laughs> All right, Chris, you should, uh, you know, start this thing over. We you, did it. You do it. I've done it twice. I can't do it again. Third time's a charm. I'm a closer. No, you're an opener right now. Hi, guys, and welcome to the Cat and Cloud Coffee Podcast. I'm sitting in the other room in Santa Cruz, California from Chris Baca and across the world of America from Samuel Lewontin. Oh, yeah. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Uh, there's a huge crowd outside cheering for him as we speak. Sam, oh, welcome God. to the show. It's good to be here. Freaking great to have you. We tried this world two or three times beforehand. And let me tell you, Skype, although simple, can be hard. Yeah, the internet <laughs> sometimes very weird. <laughs> um, so, Sam, you are, and I actually don't know, is this true? Are you an owner of Everyman Espresso in New York? Uh, Actually, I'm not an owner. I'm the general manager and uh, have my hands in all of the sort of back office stuff, but uh, uh, no financial stake. Okay. Well, you are um, very well known as a face, if not the face, of every man for a lot of people in the world. So, And also what? A barista champion regionally, a national finest multi finalist multiple time, and all-around great guy. Is that well, true? <laughs> uh, I I like to think so. Uh, being called by, being called a great guy by great guys makes it uh, easier to believe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not claiming it. I was given the title great guy, <laughs> so you can just deal with that however you want to roll. I'm gonna I'm gonna frame it. I'm gonna hang it on the wall. So people people know you from competition because you've been so prevalent in the competition circuit for the last several years. And mm -hmm. we'll get into that a little bit, but let's break away from that straight away because I'm really curious. Like, what does your average day look like? What do you do with coffee on the day to day, every man in New York, when you're not under that spotlight? Oh man, uh, there are so many different possibilities there. My days look very different these days, uh, but I guess an average day would be get up, uh, alarm goes off at maybe six thirty. Uh, get up, do all of the usual morning, you know, take a shower and comb my hair and make myself look vaguely presentable and then uh, take the train into our Soho store where I do 
most of my bar shifts, uh, show up, open the shop, uh, work behind the bar for five, six hours, and then uh, peel off and crack open my laptop and start dinking around with email and spreadsheets and all of the electronic trappings of managing a store. Uh, and then when I'm done with that, uh, probably dinner somewhere medium nice and a cocktail if I'm feeling saucy and then go home, try to get some sleep, wash, rinse, repeat. Nice. I'm going to borrow that medium nice phrase from you. It's a good phrase. I do what I, I do what I can. <laughs> What's your first coffee drink of the day look like? Uh, usually if I'm on bar, most of the coffee that I drink will be evaluative. So it'll be a lot of sips of dial-in shots. I might make myself uh, a single Cortado, something sort of close to competition cap spec because mm -hmm. I like that balance of coffee and milk a lot. Um, and I'll drink that. And then, yeah, just lots of little sips of espressos and lots of little tiny little demis full of coffee off the Fetco all day, just trying to make sure that everything tastes good and uh, is where it needs to be. I feel that. It, what's on your day off when you're going to get coffee? What are you ordering? Oh man, a one and one most of the time. That's I a want real a little bit of milk. Oh. Uh, I don't want a lot of milk, and I want to be able to taste the espresso by itself. And, and like I said, I really like I like the competition style of service. Like I like a single espresso a lot, and I like a smaller single shot milk drink of some kind a lot. Um, I think it's a great way to experience coffee and, uh, yeah, so that's what that is. <laughs> that's awesome. Do you, on your days off, do you venture away from every man or do you typically go back because it's the bomb? A uh, little column A, a little column B. Uh, I, days that I have totally off are pretty rare. There's almost always something that needs to be done around the shop or, uh, some, you know, set of emails that needs to get sent or so on and so forth. And so yep. I'll often find myself at the store, even if I'm not working behind the bar, uh, sitting at the table in the back of our Soho store and sitting there on a laptop and watching the life of the shop unfold. Um, so often I will end up drinking coffee at every man. But as when I have an actual day off, I like to visit other people's shops. There are a lot of people making really delicious coffee in New York, and it would seem a shame if I didn't have a chance to, you know, taste all their great work and hang out with them and say hi and, you know, avail myself of their work. Yeah, totally. How many stores does Everyman have? Uh, we have two stores. We have one in the East Village, uh, 13th Street and 3rd Avenue, and then one in Soho uh, on West Broadway, just above Canal Street. Uh, they're pretty different stores. Uh, the 13th Street store was actually where we got our start it's in the lobby of a, an off-Broadway theater called the Classic Stage Company. Uh, and every man started there, hang on just a second, we're looking at almost nine years ago now. Uh, and that was our only store through 2012. Uh, in 2012, we opened our store in Soho. Um, and then uh, in the summer of 2013, we went back and uh, tore down pretty much the entire uh, setup at the East Village store and rebuilt the whole thing to be more efficient, to be easier to use, easier to keep clean, um, to be a better experience for all of our guests. Uh, and it's worked out great. Um, so yeah, the, the East Village store is a little bit more sort of classic coffee shop-y, um, plenty of seating, 
uh, pretty classic bar setup. Uh, we've got a, a Linea and a couple of Mythos Ones in there, and uh, you know the usual sort of walk in, order coffee, get a pastry from the pastry case, go and hang out, and you know maybe crack your laptop open or read a book or whatever, pull mm-hmm. up a chair, and sit next to somebody. Uh, the Soho store is a little bit more uh, out there design wise, as far as what we're doing anyway. Um, so the bar setup is totally open. It's open on all sides. Um, so while there's clearly a, an end of the bar that is for baristas, um, guests can see everything that's going on. We're very sort of transparent about our process and transparent about how we do everything behind the bar. Uh, we really wanted to break down as many barriers between our baristas and our guests as we possibly could. We really wanted to include them in the process of their coffee being made. Uh, and so we were very careful to set up that store so that they could see as much as possible and so that they felt as close to the baristas as possible. Heard what, that. What kind of espresso machine are you guys running there at Soho? Uh, it's a three-group Strata MP. Uh, we're probably at some point going to do the MP to EE conversion. Uh, we don't really use the pressure profiling part of the MP that much. Um but uh, but yeah. Do you? And then, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh no, go ahead. And then yeah, that one's also fed. We've got three Mythos ones feeding that bar, so we'll have our main espresso, and then we'll have a secondary espresso that'll be a little more adventurous, um, and then decaf, obviously. That sounds awesome. Do you feel like breaking down those barriers between you and the customer? Do you think that has, even if it's not intentional, positive inflections on the quality? Because you're so connected with the barista and like they're kind of invested the whole way as their coffee's being made. It almost forces you to make better coffee. I would like to think so. Uh, (laughs) I have been working on that bar long enough that I'm going to be honest. I probably couldn't tell the difference. Uh, I have noticed that it definitely, uh, it definitely allows for closer connection and closer conversation between uh, our baristas and our guests. Um, and it makes it honestly just a lot easier to navigate the space. Also the, the Soho shop isn't very big. It's probably 650 square feet maybe. Um, but one of the great sort of upshots of having built the bar that way is that there's nowhere in that room that you can't interact with a guest from, the from behind the espresso machine. So if I'm standing behind the machine, no matter where somebody's sitting in the room, I can have a conversation with them. I can know where they are so that I can get their drink to them. I can, you know, take another order if they want to, you know, have a second round. Um, and so it's great to be able to maintain that level of connection to the whole store um, and to everyone in it. I um, love that. Yeah, definitely not an experience that I've had in any other space, um, and it's been really, it's been really wonderful. It was sort of, we didn't expect it to be that way necessarily, but it's been a great uh, benefit of the space being laid out that way. Yeah, oh, we definitely cool. are nodding that in the space we're building right now. I mean, it's, it's a little bigger than 650 square feet, but the idea is, is essentially that, the ability for us to even interact with the outdoor seating from right. outside as best we can. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, the cool thing about the open bar in that respect also is that it means that you can get to any part of the space very quickly. So you can walk around either side of the bar. Um, you can wind up at any of the seating in the space without having to do sort of a long run around to get, you know, under the one section of the bar that you can duck under or, you know, go around the one open end of the bar. It becomes very easy to 
move between bar service and seated service very quickly and very flexibly, which has been a ton of fun. Do you guys have a standard go-to? You said you had two different espressos and then, you know, decaf. Do you have a standard, like, every man, the blend, does have a name? And then is the second one, like, a rotating something or other? Or, you know, talk a little Uh, bit about that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, The default espresso is actually different at the two stores. Um, So at the Soho store, we use uh, a blend called Hologram, which is sort of counterculture's... uh, version of the espresso that so many of us fell in love with in, you know, the Pacific Northwest in like 2006, 2007, 2008. So that yep. very like classic chocolatey washed Latin American base and then a natural Ethiopia in there for some real fruit. Um, and actually right now there's about 10% of a washed Kenya in there just to give it a little bit more punch and a little bit more sort of juiciness. Um, it's tasting really, really good right now. Actually that, that change just happened and I was just sort of crowing about how, awesome it tasted. Um, uh, and then at, uh, the East village store, we use the espresso Apollo, which is a little bit of a more developed profile on a washed Ethiopian coffee. Um, so it's got that citrus, it's got that sort of caramelly sweetness that has a little bit of sort of nutty action from the more developed roast profile going on in there as well. And it's a really nice balanced take on that, uh, that washed Ethiopian profile. Uh, at the Soho store, the second espresso is always sort of as far away as I can get from that classic espresso profile and still have something that tastes really good. Mm. So I uh, see a lot of washed African coffees in that hopper, um, washed Yurkachefs a lot. Um, sorry, Yurkachefes, my apologies. Um, <laughs> How could you? <laughs> I know, I know, it's terrible. Uh, uh, we've definitely had a lot of, uh, wash coffees from Rwanda and Burundi in there. A lot of tasty stuff, uh, sort of in that range of flavor profiles. Um, we are actually serving for a very limited time, the coffee that I used at the USBC qualifying event. Uh, we've got a little bit of that left in the hopper. We'll probably have it for another day or maybe two. Um, but there wasn't all that much of it to begin with. So we're sort of using what's left of it and sharing it with people. And that coffee is super fun. Um, that's, uh, uh, for those of you just tuning in, that's, uh, uh, a coffee from Colombia, uh, from the farm of a guy named Tito Raul Kelal. Uh, it's in Nariño, pretty close to the border with Ecuador. Uh, and one of the coffees that came out of, uh, the CRS Borderlands project, uh, which is a super fun project that they've been doing down there, uh, for those who aren't already familiar with it, um, uh, doing a lot of work connecting, uh, quality-minded coffee producers with uh, importers who are willing to pay the kinds of premiums that their coffees deserve and also a lot of uh, uh, financing for things like building washing stations and building uh, drying facilities and building dry mills and that all of the stuff that makes great coffee possible. Um, so it's been really cool to work with a coffee that came out of that project. Mm-hmm. Um, been really cool to talk to all the people involved to talk to michael sheridan who's been spearheading that project and also to talk to tito and get a sense for how producing coffee like that has really changed his life honestly as far as like selecting coffees for competition right um how how does that process work for you i'm assuming you you got it through counter countercultures correct yeah so Um, that you know you connect how's that work yeah so what i'll usually do is starting maybe a month uh, or three weeks before I'm 
set to start actually doing the mechanical work of preparing for barista competition, I will email the production department and all the people involved in coffee buying at Counterculture. So I'll email Tim and I'll email uh, Kyle Tush um, and uh, Tim Hill, that is, sorry. Uh, I'll email Tim Hill and I'll email Kyle Tush and I'll say, okay, you know, it's that time again. Here's sort of generally what I'm looking for. What have you got? And they'll email me a list of everything that they've got. And generally they'll have some notions of what's going to be good. Um, and they'll just start sending me samples and we'll cut through, uh, a whole bunch of samples, uh, at Counterculture's New York training center, um, decide on sort of the three or four coffees that we're most excited about and then get larger samples of those, taste those as espresso, taste those with milk, um, and get a sense for what the best coffee for competition is going to be and then roll with that. And how was it developing that relationship? How many years have you been doing the competition with counterculture as, I guess we'll call it a partner maybe. Sure. Uh, I definitely view it as a partnership. I mean, we work very closely together. They're incredibly supportive. Uh, they provided us with a huge amount of resources and a huge amount of knowledge about both coffee generally and about the specifics of preparing for competition and how that's done. Um, uh, so we've been working with them. This is six years that I've been working with them on competition. So this is my fifth year competing, and then I took a year off to judge, but uh, one of our baristas, who actually now works for Counterculture, uh, Corey Riley Davis, uh, competed for us uh, the year that I took off to judge and obviously used Counterculture's coffee and uh, had a pretty good run of it. So so yeah, we've been, we've been working on that relationship for, yeah, six years now. That is super clutch. I... It's such a big deal. I don't know what your experience was when you were when you were brand new, but did you work with them like that first year where you're yeah. just like a lost little puppy? You're like, I'm gonna do this thing and I need help and Yeah. I oh, want really God, good coffee. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Uh no, it was huge. It was honestly everything. Uh I wouldn't have any idea how to approach this. I wouldn't have any idea how to do any of this had it not been for the support of uh, amazing baristas like Katie Cargiulo, like Lem Butler, um, all of whom I had direct access to, who I was working in the same room with. So Lem, the first year that I competed, Lem came up to New York uh, from Durham and did a sort of competition workshop. This is how I prepare for competition. This is how I structure my thinking about it. This is how I think about selecting coffees and all the things to look out for, you know, things, down to things like always make sure that you're very, very careful to check for water spotting and fingerprints on the machine before you start. Uh, and don't be afraid to ask your station uh, manager to take care of that. Uh, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't have any idea how to do this if it weren't for having had the extreme good fortune of working with these great seasoned barista competitors who were so willing and so happy to share their knowledge and so willing and so happy to work with me to make routines happen. Did you have a barista hero? Like the first uh, time you were doing a competition where you're like, this is the guy or this is the girl, like they're killing it right now. Oh my God. Uh, the first year that I competed, probably, let's see. Uh, it's a split between probably Mike Phillips 
Um, hi, Mike, if you're listening. Uh, <laughs> probably Mike Phillips and, uh, and uh, Gwillem. Um, I was fresh off of having watched both of them compete at the World Breeze Championships in 2009 um, and having had the opportunity to watch uh, Mike do his USBC thing in 2010. Uh, and both of those were... Both of those performances in 2009 and Mike's performance in 2010 were super ins- inspirational. Um, they definitely shaped a lot of how I first approached barista competition, a lot of the sort of idea of building a competition routine around a thesis and doing everything in the routine to feed into that thesis. Um, uh, so a lot, of, a lot of fun stuff there. Uh, later on, actually, uh, I got to say, uh, Chris, your routine from 2012... Uh, the one with all of the parts of the orange that you nitrogen cavitated. I still think about that one. Oh, Um, (laughs) thank you. Yeah. uh, Definitely watched that and went, Oh my God, that's genius. Uh, If I can do a like routine into signature beverage transition that is like half that elegant, I will have made it. Um, So yeah, that one, that one also sticks with me. Uh, Way to crush it. dude. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. What Ele- elegant Chris? Elegant. That's yeah. That's the so word ele- I most describe myself as. Elegant. <laughs> Super elegant. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks for listening to the Cat and Cloud Coffee Podcast. That was part one of what will probably be a three-part series with every man, Sam Luwantin. He's a gentleman's gentleman, and we just loved having him. Uh, for all y'all who have questions or inquiries or anything fun, hit us up, info at catandcloud.com. A couple updates. Uh, the Elite is back. It's for subscription only. For all y'all who didn't know, we have a subscription service on catandcloud.com. And uh, you know what? I'm going to be traveling to Portland with one of our business partners, Charles Jack, over the next two weeks. So anybody up there, keep your eyes peeled for me. Say what up. And uh, until next time, y'all, keep it snazzy in the streets. You know how to do that, right? Do it for me. Do it for America. Or wherever you're listening from. We love all the countries. Well, ciao, ciao.